Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Shamir uh, from Sila. We're going to talk about fintech and the programmable money, Web3 and uh, all the things in between. So I'm very curious to find out what's cooking in uh, Portland, Oregon, where Shamir is based. And first of all, let's get started and see how are you doing today, Shamir? I'm doing fine, Rudy. Thank you for having me. Great stuff. So what's your background, Shamir? How did you get to do what you do today in the U.S.? So I'm originally from India and I grew up there and started my career as a software engineer, came over to the U.S. and then ended up becoming a consultant, worked all over the U.S. and in Europe, ended up doing almost exclusively financial institutions stuff. And then 2009, a friend of mine from business school sent me an email saying, let's start a retail bank. And you'll see how crazy I am that I thought it was a good idea in 2009 to start a bank. Ended up leaving McKinsey, moved back to the US and started up Simple, which was one of the first neobanks anywhere. That was, a, that was a learning experience for me. We spent three years just launching uh, because nobody had ever done it before. And then a couple of years after launching, we ended up being acquired by BBBA, which is a big Spanish bank. I then got excited about building API platforms and left Simple, moved to BBVA and spent a couple of years there building API platforms, both in Europe and in the US, but eventually got frustrated of the big bank uh, pace of change and left and left BBVA in 2017 and then founded Scylla in 2018. And the, the whole idea and the whole mission of Scylla is to make it easy for anybody to program with money. It's Anywhere in the planet, if you wake up tomorrow and you want to program with email or voice over IP or HTML, it's quick, easy, SDKs and APIs are available. As soon as you get into money, it's vastly harder. And that's what we want to solve and make it easy uh, for people to, to just build a fintech or a crypto app or anything, right? All right. You know, we're going to get uh, to the bottom of this. How? What do you mean by programmable money and how that works? But let's set the scene and uh, focus on the big picture first. Some people argue that we are only in the early stage of early stages of fintech revolution. So why are we only in the early stages of fintech, and why are you excited, or what are you excited about in in the future? Oh, completely agree with that. If you look at global financial services, right, all of it, retail banking, wealth management, international payments, all of the commercial banking, all of that together is around a 17 trillion industry globally. That's revenue, right? Which seems like an insanely large amount of money, but of course it is, right? Like global GDP is like 100 trillion or something. Financial services is a huge part of uh, GDP. And then it is a very big number. It's 30 times larger as an industry than global advertising. And if you look at the internet, which is about 30 years old now, in its first 20 years, I think what the internet really changed 
was advertising. If you look at all the early giants on the internet, except for Amazon, they were all built, whether it was Yahoo, whether it was Google, even Facebook, their entire revenue streams were built around advertising online. And uh, advertising today looks nothing like it did in 1990 or even in 2000. But if you look at financial services, and it's remember, it's much, much larger, it still looks pretty much the same as it did in 1990 or 2000. If you take everybody in the entire fintech and crypto world from like PayPal, I don't know, 24 years ago to Scylla today, and you add the entire industry up, we're not even 2% of the global financial services. And then it's like, where is all of that 17 trillion? And it's all sitting with like large banks, wealth managers, payments companies that were all around 25 years ago. So the internet revolution in financial services, which is really the fintech revolution, is barely begun. This decade of the 20s, we're going to grow from 1% a couple of years ago to 10% by 2030. So even in 2030, I think 90% of financial services will be traditional. But the fintech and crypto and the new world will massively increase. And it is, right? It's just because there is it's, it's such a large pie to take over that there's only a certain pace that you can... So now let's talk about Scylla, right? Your latest venture. I understand that you're on the mission to accelerate the next generation of financial services. So what does that mean in plain English? And uh, why now? So uh, how does that fit? How, do, how does that fit into the next stage of uh, fintech revolution as well? Totally. So we, we are here to arm the revolution. We are an API platform. We don't act. We don't build apps that that that, that an end consumer, like an individual or a business, would use directly. We provide the APIs and the infrastructure on the back end to power folks who would who would build those apps. Uh, and if you go back to my experience at Simple uh, more than a decade ago now, it was immensely hard to even to, to even get to the point where we could onboard our first customer. There was no such thing as APIs. Most banks didn't even know how to how how what an API meant. And the the space is heavily regulated. Getting a bank license is all in the US is almost impossible. Even in other parts of the world, it's it's very hard. So you have to end up partnering with banks. And frankly, banks suck. They just suck in different ways. Their technology is outdated. They are heavily regulated and they don't know how to manage it. So you have to become an expert on regulation. And if you just wake up tomorrow as a developer and you're like, I want to write 50 lines of code to send an email from Rudy to Shamir once every Friday automatically. You're like, this is something that any developer can spin up in an afternoon. It's that quick and easy. You're like, hey, I want to write 50 lines of code to send $5 from Rudy to Shamir every Friday. You're like, this is going to take you six months. <laughs> and it's like, why is that so much harder in the world of money than it is in the world of email? Remember, money is all electronic. Uh, payment networks are just one type of messaging network. So from a computer science perspective, the problems are very similar. But from a real world perspective and societal perspective, it is way harder to program with money. And that's really what we're here to enable. We're here to enable those innovators who want to build, you know, BFM apps, neobanks, commercial banking apps, lending apps, crypto apps, and say, hey, when you want to onboard Shamir or Rudy or John Smith or Jane Doe, verify their identity because you need to do that. This is a regulated industry. Take their money, hold it, transfer it, perform some logic that's part of your business on it, and then sometime later, pay out somebody else. All of that can be done on the Scylla platform, and you don't need to spend 
six, 12, 18 months doing it. You can write that code in hours and you can get it into production and, and live in a matter of weeks. I see. So are we talking about automation with combined with payments? Automation. If I were to dumb it, dumb it down. Automation combined with payments, but also money storage, right? Like the people, when they think of payment, they're like, I'm going to take money from John and I'm going to pay it to Jane. I'm like, that's fine. But what if you want to take money from John, hold it for six months or 18 months, and then pay out to Jane or send it back to John based on a set of rules? And so a lot of the early uh, companies that were built in this space just optimized around point-to-point -point payments, and they didn't really solve for money storage because money storage is much more regulated than payments typically. And so we, our, our platform natively handles both, right? Like you can store money on it as easily as you can transfer money on it. And we handle all the compliance that you need on the back end. We do have bank, we do have a bank partner. It's have all bank and trust and everything we do is regulated and compliant and we work with them closely. But for our customers, they typically never have to worry about this. And as they get bigger and as they scale up, we work with them to get them. The compliance needs change over time and we work with them on that. All right. So we talked about programmable money basically being an automated code, which is related to payments and the storage, but you can do other things with money, right? You you may want to invest, you may want to borrow, you may want to lend. How does that work with Sila's offering? Oh, there are so many things you can do with money, maybe not everything, but a lot of things. And we are very cognizant of the fact that we cannot be all things to all people. And so we really work on uh, a network of partnerships. Uh, so just to give you an example, we have over 20 partners now, but we have uh, card issuing partners, Lithic here in the US. We have bill payment partners like Arcus, investment partners like Alpaca, uh, data partners like Plaid, and, and so many others. And what we do is we say, hey, you, you need to take the money from John and hold it or transfer it to pay it out to Jade. But maybe in the, in the process of holding it, you want to invest it. Uh, or maybe the funds flow is reversed and you want to lend the money to John and then have them pay back over time. Uh, or, or is it like hundreds, maybe thousands of different ways of, of programming this, right? We are going to be that core platform where the, the end user comes in, their identity is verified, the money is stored and transferred. For all the other things that you may need to do with them, and there's at least hundreds of things, we will build a network of partners work with us and you can seamlessly say hey if you want to go invest well then alpaca will make it easy to transfer those funds over to them and they have an api for investment or if you want to issue a card and give that card to the end user well lithic will make it easy to issue that card and they have an api for that and so we, we work with a network of partnerships uh, a network of partners really to enable as many different things as we can because the, the use cases are so a lot so many that we could never do it all ourselves all right, understood. So I would like to also understand a little bit more, what's the technology behind your solution? Because uh, these days when, when the youngsters, they graduate from universities, from colleges, apparently in the language section, they don't put French, but they put Python, right? So what do you use as a technology and what are the core skills that maybe your people have? It's funny you should say that, Rudy, because we are a Python shop. Fundamentally, pretty much, probably like close to 100% of our 
code bases is written in Python. And we made that decision strategically a few years ago because it was probably the most flexible and easiest language to learn and, and ramp up on. And you know, there's really, I wouldn't say there's any real like secret sauce in the technology, but like we follow the best principles of modern API and, and platform development. Our, our architecture is service oriented. We have some parts of it are in a monolith where the APIs come in, but then on the back end, we have, we are all cloud-based, so everything runs on uh, AWS. And we have a series of AWS lambdas, which are like serverless pieces of code, which handle a lot of back-end functionality because to our customers, we offer an easy to use, well-documented, clean API. But on the back end, we we have to work with the all the broken payment systems, ACH, which is now more than 40 years old or cards or different KYC vendors and none of it is real time. Some of it takes days. And so we we manage all of that behind the scenes through this a series of AWS lambdas. We have our own private ledger that we run on AWS where we track transactions and balances. All the underlying funds, of course, are held in omnibus accounts at Evolve Bank and Trust. But the, the ledger is where you can query and program with those easily. And we also have a crypto infrastructure. We have uh, a smart contract on Ethereum. Uh, we issue our own stable coin and we sync that up with our ledgers. And we have customers building crypto exchanges and doing NFT projects and NFT businesses, really, who use that infrastructure as well. All right. What is your unfair competitive advantage, though? Because when you look at the competitive landscape, how does that look like? There are some neobanks that want to take down the incumbents. Then there are people who want to help digitize the bank incumbents. So where do you fit in and how does that look like from a competitive standpoint? Are you Do you have an advantage or you think it's unfair? And especially, is this something that it's uh, sustainable? And uh, even if investors would give you money now, in 10 years, it will be the same answer. Yep. So there is, there's, there's like series of competitive advantages. And, and on the surface, being at this you know intersection where fintech meets crypto meets the traditional financial system, we're right in the middle of that. Right? Like we serve fintechs, we serve cryptos, we, 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 we work with traditional financial institutions and payment systems. And, and the, being right at the center of that, I think we're in the perfect uh, place at the perfect time in some ways over the last couple of years. But the, and, and just our knowledge and expertise on all of those areas and like compliance and payments and crypto architecture and the infrastructure is, is a competitive advantage, which few other companies have at this point. But I feel like at some level, all of that can be replicated over time. I think ultimately our real competitive advantage is our deep kind of knowledge and focus on customer experience and especially on developer experience. What does it take to get a developer to build their app and launch it and do it really quickly and easily? And it's not, it's hard to say exactly what it takes because then of course uh, it would be easy to do, Uh, but it's just a series of things like high quality docs, high quality sandbox, high quality APIs, continuously improving that. And I think that is a, a competitive advantage that is very hard to replicate. All right. Now, 
how do you make money though? How, how does that work? What's your business model? Oh, it's very straightforward. We charge our customers uh, a platform fee for, for building and shipping and have getting access to the platform. And then when they perform actions, right? Like when they onboard a user, when they verify their identity, when they do a payment, there's, you know, per transaction or per action costs. Uh, all of it is completely transparent. It's on our website. You can go look at silamoney.com slash pricing and we put our pricing on the website. We try to be as transparent as possible. All right, understood. Now, you mentioned the Web3, you mentioned the blockchain, the Python and all this. So how does this all fit together? What will Web3 mean for financial services in your view in the next uh, few years? So the uh, t- to me, Right, like when whenever people uh, say, "Hey, are you fintech or crypto?" My answer is yes. I, I feel like the what I see from tech and crypto customers, like all our crypto customers, their core problems are all payments processing, card chargebacks, ACH returns, KYC optimized, all the things that are fintech, right? Or people think are fintech. And then if you talk to my fintech customers, they're all interested in crypto and they're like, hey, how do we get into DeFi? Should I be looking at NFTs? Should I be? And I'm like, yes, maybe you should. Worlds that people think of as different, which is fintech and crypto, they're rapidly merging. And the real difference in the crypto space is that there are some cultural differences. The crypto communities and the people who are building in the crypto space tend to tend to think much more tech first, and they tend to think a lot more community first, while people who are building in the fintech space tend to think a lot more like uh, regulatory first and and, and compliance first, and maybe customer first. So those worlds are rapidly merging right now. And I I think in five, 10 years, this won't even be a question. It'll be like, are you building using kind of fintech tools or are you building crypto tools and a lot of them will become the same thing and it's just a question of what customers care about is new and innovative products and services can you build and deliver those and get customers and that's what it comes down to ultimately all right now maybe one or last couple of questions first of all you mentioned your team. This is your not your first venture. So where are you guys based and what is your ambition in terms of global domination? So I hope. Uh, we are based out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we were founded here. This is where I live. And we do have a fair number of employees here. But now, actually, I think not even a quarter of the company is, is based in Portland. And we have employees all across the U.S. We switched to being a remote organization when the when the pandemic started in 2020 and we've just decided to stay a remote organization going forward we've figured out how to do it and, and it's working well for us now of course you have to balance that and we're now as hopefully the pandemic wanes we are working on doing more in-person meetings and, and events and get-togethers so that is still important and i think it's still valuable we'll we are and will remain a remote first organization and yes the the plan is to build a global capability. We do a lot of international payments already, but we don't operate in any countries outside the US. It's much more of sending payments out from, from the US is what we do right now. But eventually, I the, the best example I, I, I think of folks is to just think of a company like Airbnb. Um, and people don't think of Airbnb as a fintech. And I'd say it's right, it's not a fintech. And yet they have, I think, four or 500 people in their payments team. And and when you sign up 
and say, hey, I am going to go book a, a, a villa in Italy three months from now. And then after the Airbnb will take your money today. They won't pay anybody in Italy for at least three months. And then if two months from now you decide to cancel and rebook in Vietnam, they will pay out in Vietnam instead of in, in Italy. Uh, so they have the same sort of problems that we are solving, right? Like they need to onboard their users, verify their identity, take their money, hold it, maybe for a day, maybe for 18 months, and then pay out. They just have it across, I don't know, 100, 200 countries and to uh, dozens of currencies, right? So they, they, they had no choice. 10 years ago, when they built their infrastructure, they had to build it all themselves. And uh, they did. And it takes a lot of effort. I want to make that entire infrastructure capability accessible by our API. So the next company that wants to build an Airbnb is like, hey, we can focus on finding the best rental properties and getting customers. And when we want to take somebody's money in Zurich and then pay them out in Italy or Vietnam, we just call the Scylla API and it's straightforward. <laughs> uh, and so that global API layer to program with money across the entire planet is where we want to be. I see. Great stuff. Sounds good. Now, I think anyway, almost every company is a fintech company, but basically it sounds like you don't have to be. You, you could focus on your core business. Understood. Now, maybe last couple of questions before we wrap up. What is your favorite business book that you could recommend to, to our listeners? I'm going to be uh, a little bit of a heretic and I'm going to re recommend David Graeber's book, uh, Debt, The First 5,000 Years. It's, David Graeber is this very liberal political scientist, I think, sociologist. Uh, he died uh, a couple of years ago, uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, But his book on, on money and debt made me really think about finance and money very differently than I used to. So I found it very eye-opening. All right. Awesome. We'll put it in the show notes. Thank you so much. Now, last question is, what's the best way to reach out and what kind of parties would you like to hear from most? That could be your potential business partners. You talked about partnerships, could be employees if you're hiring or the investors if you're raising money uh, or all of the above. I'd say all of the above, definitely employees and customers. Investors are not a problem at the moment, but especially also like customers, right? If you are anywhere in the world, but especially if you're in the US or want to be in the US and you want to build anything which involves programming with money, check us out. We are at uh, www.sillamoney.com and there's a bunch of links there to get in touch with customer service or sales or whatever. And most of the information is on the website, including our sandbox, our docs and our pricing. Wonderful. That's great to hear. So thank you, Shamir, and good luck to Sila. Thank you, Rudy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceofintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.